This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your other sometimes host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, not just sometimes host, but William Wright Commercial officially is adopting you for the weekend. We're bringing you to our annual William Wright retreat in Whistler for three days. This is, I thought you were going to say William Wright mascot. I am excited (laughs) about this. We're headed up tomorrow, Whistler, golf, Scandinav. Scandinav Spa. Scandinav Spa. Lunch in the Village. Oh my Dinners. God. It's going to be, it's exciting. It's exciting. And it's a great group. I'm really excited to go. This is actually the last thing in my calendar before I'm basically mentally checked out for a couple of days here. So it's going to be good. This will be good. But who do we have on the show, Corey? This is, an, this is exciting. Very, it's a great show. We have Meg Cooney, Liam Simpson, no relation to Bart. Go on. <laughs> Seamus Bailey, all from our Vancouver office, all land and asset specialists. They, they're talking to people on a daily basis that are buying and selling in this corridor. We take a, an approach from a commercial angle. Yeah. We, I caught your show last week. Great show. Really, really good approach to it. Really well done. Clearly, you saw the schedule we had coming up. So you thought, hey, we got to get ahead we, of you. We got to get ahead of that one. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but really good show. The two shows complement each other. Two different approaches to it. Yeah. And it works out really well and arguably, which could be probably the biggest decision in Vancouver council history. I I, I agree. I think the different angles are really useful. We had Kit Sauter on uh, talking yeah. about uh, the Broadway plan, largely from a, a kind of what the city needs yeah. and, and why and the politics around it. This is really interesting because Meg, Liam and Seamus unpack it from that in-depth knowledge based on relationships they have with the people that are actually going to have to build this stuff. And does it actually make sense? Does it pencil out? How onerous are the conditions that that city of Vancouver are putting on developers? Really interesting conversation and some opportunities as well. Yeah, for sure. No, they, they unpack a lot. And like I so said, they're talking to people on a daily basis that are, that are buying in this corridor, selling this corner, you know, corridor, potentially developing this corridor. So They've got a lot of great insight information from the commercial side of the, the world of how it all sort of unfolds itself. And they kind of supply that to us, which hopefully gives the listeners a really good insight to it. It, it does. And, you know, not to spoil it, but uh, one of the big takeaways, there might not be that much change to the Broadway corridor for a while. <laughs> yeah. No, well, one thing, too, people have to remember, too, is, is this is the city's OCPs are visions, right? right. You mean like they're not necessarily going to come to fruition as they foresee. There could be amendments, there could be changes, but really it has to be a combination of sort of a city vision coupled with private sector money and the private sector money is obviously the development world. And then hopefully those two mesh and come to fruition together on a timeline that works well for everybody. Right. I mean, a lot of these things too, because sometimes can take take years. Like if you look at the Canby corridor, I think the first study was 2001. Mm-hmm. It was the first study they did and then they passed it like late 2007. And then you finally got to get a decent amount of development like in 2013. 
Right. right. Fast forward 2022, a lot of it's done, but now we're into the third phase. So you know, these things can sometimes take 10, 15, 20 years to come to fruition. So there's not going to be a snap of a finger and overnight you have the results. Absolutely. Well, maybe we should cut to our talk with Meg, Liam, and Seamus from William Wright Commercial. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was a great conversation. Very, very knowledgeable individuals. Very lucky to have them on the show today. Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial. John, Alan, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. All right, we're here today with Liam Simpson, Seamus Bailey, and Meg Cooney, all from our William Wright Vancouver office, all work in the investment sales and land specialists within the city of Vancouver. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you, Corey? Good, thanks. Meg, you've been on the show before, so we're welcoming you back. You're one of Matt's fan favorites, as always. Past guest fan favorites. <laughs> guest Meg fan, fan favorite. And then but I'm have... not co-hosting myself today. No, no, no. <laughs> it's okay. That's, that's okay. It's, it's kind of like, like, you know, when you come and do the co-hosting stuff, that's kind of like when you're like the guest on Saturday Night Live, where you're also playing, you're the guest, the host, and the musician. Today, you're just a musician. Which is totally all good. And then we have Liam Simpson and Liam for our listeners. Any relation to Bart? <laughs> you know, I've been asked that my whole life and I'm starting to believe it now myself. So maybe we got to look into it. Uh, it should have been an interview question when you hired me, but uh, we'll address that when it comes up again. <laughs> he submitted his 23 and me, so he's waiting for the results. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Seamus Bailey. So guys, what we'll do is we'll, we'll give you a chance. So if you guys maybe want to tell us about yourselves a little bit and we'll go one, two, three through the list. So Meg, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I have been in real estate for 10 years now. Got my start in pre-sales, selling condos for a developer. And then I transitioned into commercial in 2015 and have been doing that ever since. So yeah, my focus is on investment, sales, and land. Uh, I'm Seamus Bailey. I've been working with uh, William Wright for uh, the last three years or so now, focusing on land and investments along with uh, Meg and Liam here. My background is in uh, economics. So I do a lot of the uh, underwriting for the uh, investment and land deals that we uh, are looking at or working on, listing, et cetera. And, you know, pretty excited about the project plan. My name is Liam Simpson. I joined the firm just over two years ago now. Uh, I've been working with Seamus and Meg. We started off uh, bouncing around to a lot of asset classes, and then we gained a lot of traction with landed investment. And it's been a really interesting asset class to work in the last few years. So a lot of excitement, and uh, that's why we're here. Fantastic. Well, well, maybe we'll start, guys, with a general question, and it, it may be too broad, and whoever wants to tackle it, but for listeners that aren't that familiar with the Broadway plan, what is the Broadway plan? Yeah, absolutely. So the Broadway plan was initiated in 2018 with the goal of increasing environmentally sustainable buildings, tackling housing issues and creating sustainable transportation. So it, the scope of this uh, of the area spans from 1st to 16th, 
by into Clark. It's around 2,100 acres or 480 city blocks and works into Kitsilano, Fairview, and Mount Pleasant. Yeah, and just to add on that as well, so, you know, this really started when the Broadway subway extension, you know, was in talks in 2014. So it's been a long time, you know, buzz and attention towards this, this plan. Yeah, 2014, the Mayor's Council vision was approved, which includes the Broadway subject, subway extension. They then focused on the project design and the funding. And then, yes, in 2018, that's when the, the plan started to um, come together and come to life. So, yeah, definitely a long time coming, almost 10 years. Broadway is a commercial corridor, right? Corey and I were talking before we, we called you guys, and, and one in 12 jobs in Western Canada is... Uh, which is a crazy stat in my mind, is is located along the Broadway corridor. We've talked a lot about increasing housing density, which is greatly mm-hmm. needed in the city. But what does the Broadway plan offer from a commercial standpoint? Yeah, so, you know, in terms of figures, they're looking to create 42,000 additional jobs within the corridor. So currently they stand at about 84,000, exactly 50% increase in job creation. Oh. Yeah, so it's, you know, pretty significant. You know, the whole area is about 2,100 acres of the whole plan. So, you know, this is by far the largest comprehensive area plan undertaken by the city of Vancouver. And, you know, I'm surprised this is all of BC. So, you know, very significant to be so close to that. Yeah, yeah. They've also uh, kind of identified a lack of office space along the Broadway corridor. Driving around, you know, you will see some office towers on Broadway. But you don't often see the really dense towers that you would see downtown. And that was part of a big focus for some sections of the plan anyway, specifically around kind of the Cambian Broadway station. They've outlined a lot of office towers with significant density, you know, 30 to 40 stories with retail grades, you know, have some kind of liveliness to the development. But we would anticipate an enormous amount of demand for that area. I mean, anecdotally, a lot of medical users I know love to be around that part of town and there's just a complete absence of product for them to uh, to lease in the area and operate their business. Um, so it was really awesome to see the city of Vancouver notice that need and uh, implement the changes that uh, need to fill that gap. Yeah, and just, just to add in there as well, more specifically, the city is targeting the six station areas around where the Broadway line will connect with upper-level Broadway. And those will be the areas where we see the most significant density and a lot more office allocation. So one one of the controversial things with this plan that has been talked about from a con- controversial standpoint is potentially the lack of density of housing. And I know a lot of the density has been concentrated around those six SkyTrain stops. What are you guys seeing, heard, talked about with regards to like the housing aspect of it from a development standpoint? And I guess a follow-up question that would be is, from the housing standpoint, taking it from a, a perspective of the rental or purpose-built side of it, there's been a lot of talk about how there's sort of been an opportunity missed where there could be more density, especially in the housing markets around there. What are you guys hearing and seeing with respect to that? Uh, I mean, definitely. Like, we're, we're quite active in this area. And, you know, we're always reaching out to developers to see which areas they want to go after. And, you know, prior to the plan being approved, you know, the, the concern was that, there really is not a space to build market strata for residential. And some developers are just not set up to build uh, rental. You know, they don't have the capacity to manage it once the project's done 
or they're more merchant in their process where they need to cash out um, when the project has completed. So, you know, there are a lot of developers that are completely steering clear of this area just because it's so de-incentivizing to build market strata. And, you know, that really is highlighted in the DCE. So I'm sure you guys have reviewed the policy, but, you know, the DCEs are ranging anywhere from 330 to 425, depending on the area per square foot of additional density that you're granted. And this is essentially like a rezoning tax that developers have to pay. So when you add costs like that, you know, they either have to find, you know, push the revenue side, so increase the, the sale price of these pre-sale units, or they, they take a loss. So, you know, there really isn't that incentive to build market strata. And I, you know, I think that's pretty clear that the, the city wants to see more rental, but um, there really isn't a space for it. So Meg, for our listeners there, can you maybe go into it a little bit more? You mentioned there about the DCEs with regards to developers and additional density. Can you go through a little bit, maybe and just break down what that is and then maybe also just touch base on what a CAC costs are? These are some costs that the developers have to, I mean, obviously, obviously pay. Can we maybe just break down what those costs are and we can explain for the listeners where those where that money goes? Yeah, so a DCE is Development Contribution Expectation. And, you know, this is a revenue generator for the city and, you know, would be used toward improving infrastructure, amenities, upgrading, which obviously the Broadway plan needs quite a bit of, um, just given the overhaul of this area. So they're relying heavily on developers funding. I think think they projected about $900 in DCEs over the next 10 years to help fund uh, the infrastructure changes and servicing changes that they need to support this amount of density. And so this cost being passed on to the developers, you know, affects what they can purchase the site for. So, you know, it compresses what they can pay for land. You know, construction costs are relatively fixed, but the only other factor or variable that they can control is the revenue. So, it kind of forces developers to push the market on a revenue standpoint with what they sell these units for. And, you know, whether or not um, the market is receptive to that, you know, that's a huge risk for developers. And then just as, you know, a community at large, there are likely going to be very few market strata projects that go forward in the Broadway plan because of this extra cost, making, you know, limited supply in this area. So perhaps charging $2,500 $2,500 per square foot of unit, you know, that's the number that works for developers. And that's the only option for consumers to actually purchase along this area. So, you know, I think that definitely guides the hand toward rental, which is, I, I suspect, what the city of Vancouver is aiming for, part of their vision. If I understand, the plan is de-incentivizing strata and, and pushing developers towards purpose-built rental? Through the cost structure? Definitely. On top of the cost to, in a lot of areas, like if you see in Fairview is a big focus of the Broadway plan. Policy is if you're replacing secured market rental, then market strata isn't even an option for you. So in areas like that where you walk around and it's a lot of kind of three-story walk-ups from the 60s, it's not even possible to build market strata under the new plan. So uh, in addition to the cost, they're using other policies to definitely push the uh, the rental rather than the strata like we might have seen on the Canby Corridor. Yeah. And and what may be seen as further disincentivizing from the developer standpoint is the rental policies on how to handle existing tenants in the area. 
So there's two overarching policy frameworks that are being put forward is that, you know, developers will have to handsomely pay current renters to displace them in order to incentivize them to move out or find a new place to live or include them in the new rental units at or below what they're currently paying. And because rents tend to stick with the tenants and are moved up very slowly over time, there's a lot more guesswork when you're initially looking at a site and it might be more difficult to find value in that on the development side. That being said, there's also a negative side from renters in the area as well, where these these policies are not seen as trustworthy. So there's a lot of interviews coming out from Vancouver Tenants Union, and they're essentially saying that, that they don't believe that that will happen. Right. It, it just seems too it just seems too complicated that you know a tenant who's paying you know six hundred fifty dollars in rent on their unit cannot possibly live in a two thousand dollar a month unit and still pay that amount. They just don't see that connection. And the city is making these promises, but it, it's causing strain on both sides. So I guess the the one thing I'm thinking here is there's probably a decent number of people listening to this show that are thinking, you know, when this plan passes, there's potentially going to be a frenzy uh, amongst the developers to, you know, to get in on the Broadway corridor. What you're all outlining, as I understand it, is a pretty tricky needle to thread here in terms of getting it right and actually making a profit. What are you hearing on the ground? And and is there going to be a building boom along the Broadway corridor? Or is this just too onerous to take on? I think a lot of the larger scale projects are probably going to be put on hold to an extent until they figure out a uh, viable solution on the development side. I think that when the first draft of the plan was released, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of interest from developers, perhaps even trying to get into some site prior to the plan being finalized. However, as they've refined their directions and there's been the public hall meetings and frankly, the controversy from uh, members of the community around that area, I think some of the hype has died down. I think there's also concerns in a bit of a, uh, a gap, I guess, between existing landowners in the area's expectations and what makes sense from an underwriting perspective if you're kind of being shoehorned into building rental. Yeah, I mean, I think on that point too, um, you know, for the average landowner, hearing 40 stories, your site is designated for 40 stories, you know, hearing the multipliers that were achieved on the Candy Corridor, for example, you know, they're seeing dollar signs as vendors. And unfortunately, developers, you know, they need to work their numbers too because they're not going to pursue a project that will take them four to six years to, you know, risk losing their shirt over it or not having enough profit to make it a worthy um, endeavor. So I think there is going to be a bit of a gap of expectations from vendors and what um, developers are able to pay. There's also the, the factor of assembly too. So a lot of the minimum frontages are 150 feet. And if you look at Broadway, you know, each lot is approximately 50 feet. So, you know, there's another layer of timing, getting, you know, three owners in a row that all agree on value and all agree on the timing to sell. Um, so I don't think it's going to be as, you know, expeditious as we uh, would anticipate. Even though there's been a lot of hype around the Broadway plan, I think it's, it's going to take time to really see this revitalization and big changes along Broadway. Yeah, and it, uh, just one last 
point, an interesting thing that I did here on the ground recently, and it's kind of what I was alluding to with figuring out a solution to close that gap, is um, a contact in the industry of mine who uh, works with REITs and developers is under the impression and has heard discussion that likely the direction it will go is to almost pre-sell a development site, since there's so many developers who would be uncomfortable having capital tied up in a rental building for so long, unlike in a strata project where you can get some of your capital returned by doing pre-sales, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. They would have metrics that, you know, big organizations like pension plans or REITs would pre-buy a big tower rental site with 150 feet of frontage. And then the developer is more so providing development services for a fee rather than directly buying the site and uh, pre-selling the units like they would with a strata project. So whether that'll come to fruition or not is hard to say, but it's an interesting talking point given its uh, rarity, I guess, in the current Vancouver development market. Um, One more point to add on. In, In light of all this, Sort of downward, downward emotion towards towards the plan. At, at the same time, the, the plan is very, very large, and it does get quite specific. But at the same time, it also acknowledges that it might not completely cover exactly what is needed, and it might not know exactly what ends up happening in the area. There's three overarching principles in the plan, nine in total, and the plan itself acknowledges that if a developer comes to the city. With uh, with an idea, a proposal that you know encompasses the the guiding principles of the plan, but kind of falls out of the scope of the plan itself. It might be looked at. So if I was a developer, I would I would kind of sit back and wait and see just to how much that happens, how much leeway the city gives to developers to bring their own yeah, take uh, it off of that precedent exactly, yeah. bring their own interest to the to the area. But obviously, that remains to be seen. I was just going to say, but from what I'm hearing is kind of an amazing uh, thing that the city is, it's like lack, people criticize lack of transparency, inability to kind of for spot rezoning to figure out exactly how, what's going to get passed and why. And, and they go through this whole process and then it's like, actually let's uh, business as usual. Like the the plan is is basically not all that important if if you kind of know what you're doing and can shoehorn something past. Yeah, I think it's one thing too that's important too is these are these are cities' visions. Obviously, when they put forward these plans and these things need to you know they need to intersect properly with private sector money from the development world. And not all plans come to fruition in the timing that they want. You take a look at like Port Kells out in the Surrey Langley area. That recently, probably over the past five years, has really gained momentum and really kind of built out, I think, to how the city wanted it built 20 years ago. Right. But they just couldn't get, you know, developers on board with it. And I think right now, one thing, question I have for you guys, because you guys are on the ground and you're doing sales in these corridors. With this plan and the anticipation for this plan, considering interest rates are rising, construction costs are at an all-time high, supply chain issues are, are challenging all over the world. Are developers on the acquisition side, guys, maybe hesitant to get too excited just yet considering the current economics that they have to work within? Yeah, I think that's definitely a factor. The timing of you know the plan finally coming to fruition, I think we've definitely seen a little bit of a slowdown and some caution, especially in situations where you know it's unproven and maybe pioneering this area. Developers are still very active and they have to keep a pipeline. But um, yeah, I think to Liam's point as well, they might kind of sit on the sidelines here and see what precedents you know are approved before 
being the first one to take that risk, especially with you know all the points you mentioned, you know, interest rates, climbing, construction costs, inflation. Um, there's so much uncertainty in the market as a whole right now that adding plan uncertainty to, you know, I think is also a factor. Yeah. And with the with the rising construction costs, it, it is obviously a factor that's affecting most of the lower mainland right now. And when you think of Broadway specifically, it is one of the most expensive areas inherently to build. You know, typically you're on the higher end of quality, typically have underground parking and a lot of other complications. Amenities are much more frequent in the buildings as well. And it further disincentivizes with, with the DCE structure that Meg, Meg was talking about. A lot of sites are looking at interest rates, very common, much lower DCEs, DCLs, and CACs, and are still having a hard time penciling out those sites. So in the current economy and, and the way that you know interest rates and construction costs are affecting these areas, it is going to be quite difficult right now, unless the site is of uh, very, very premium, low value to developers. That being said, though, I think, you know, we definitely saw quite a boom or, you know, a surge of activity along the Broadway plan in 2016, 2017, and that was kind of speculative at the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there are a lot of developers that have holding sites, you know, where they have been, you know, waiting for a long time. They did pay a premium, and perhaps the site does pencil out now um, Mm -hmm. because they, you know, probably got a bit of a discount just buying so in advance. So, you know, I still think that there will be some activity and, you know, some applications uh, being submitted now that uh, we're at the finish line. But new acquisitions, I think it's not going to be as rapid. Can we speak to any projects maybe that either have got the go-ahead now at this point or maybe even under construction or maybe even further maybe propose? Is there any exciting projects that have already sort of come to the forefront that are taking shape along this corridor in anticipation of the Broadway line? The most exciting new project is probably the uh, Granville and Broadway uh, development by PCI. It kind of speaks to what Meg was saying about there being holding sites the developers have had for a while, and now they pencil out because they bought this site years ago now. So it's going to be a 39-story, mainly rental residential tower with, of course, the uh, below-market rental portion, the 20% figure that is uh, becomes fairly commonplace throughout the plan, but it'll also have five stories of office space and retail at grade with a grocery store. So they're definitely going for that kind of community pylon, I guess you'd say, that you'd like to see more developments around it. That's not to say that they had an easy time. I mean, I think pretty much every month for the last, you know, 12 months or so, you'd be reading an article about uh, naysayers for the area saying it was too tall and uh, it was going to ruin the uh, community feel of the area. But um, it's nice that we have at least one large-scale project underway and approved to sort of set the precedent at the very least in that immediate vicinity, if not around all of the station areas, because uh, that one will be kind of directly adjacent to a, uh, to a new SkyTrain station. Yeah, exactly. And as Seamus was saying about the station areas, I think this, is, this shows a very strong precedence for what's exactly in the plan as proposed. This is, you know, it's between that 30 to 40 stories. The rental is exactly what the plan was sort of predicting would happen there. So it, it is no surprise that this sort of density breakdown did, did get approved. There's not much from this development that kind of stands outside of what we were expecting to see. It's just good to see that someone's jumped forward and, and has started the, uh, the procedure of building something. 
You know, just thinking about this, honestly, from my standpoint, it's kind of actually depressing, this conversation, uh, in that a lot of people, you know, we're in the housing crisis and it feels like we're getting to that, you know, literally a breaking point where we just need more housing built, right? Yeah. And and this to me, I mean, the big takeaway, and maybe I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts if this is a big takeaway, but is the city overplaying their hand here? Because, you know, it will just, instead of, you know, there being, a, you know, a bunch of new housing being built and over the next, say, three to eight years, we're pushing this down the line where, you know, it's going to be a very slow process. The numbers don't work for a long time. We have to wait and see. It's very tentative. This this doesn't strike me as the bold opportunity that that I was thinking it could be. What are your guys' thoughts? I would say if anything, they're underplaying their hands to an extent. I think this is a plan that is extremely optically good for uh, citizens of Vancouver because it plays into a lot of um, the goals that uh, city planners have, you know, that so-called Vancouverism, you know, they want uh, green developments and uh, community feeling. I think it's like we were saying, they've paid more attention to the optics of the plan than they have the incentives of the plan for those that would uh, allow it to play out. I think to an extent, it's a shame and it may change over time simply because we are in a housing crisis and we desperately need more rental but they have to realize unless the city is going to undertake an enormous amount of rental projects themselves, then they have to make the, the underwriting work for a developer. Otherwise, they're either going to not move on sites or you know, wait for new directions of the plan to come out that make the underwriting come out a little easier. I guess one note of optimism would be the commercial sections of the plan are pretty exciting. You know, the vast majority of it is uh, rental residential focused, but I think there are a lot of developers and we certainly are hearing that on the street that are highly interested in uh, the office sections of it specifically because we're in, there is an enormous shortage. And so, you know, we will see some building on that end of things. I think they may have missed the mark on the uh, rental portion. Yeah. And on the, the office uh, portion as well, developers have the flexibility to build strata, which we've seen in Vancouver, you know, have really strong demand, or they could build, you know, rental product as well on the office side. So there's a little bit more flexibility there and mm-hmm. it appeals to more developers for that reason. Yeah. I, I, I think building off of James's point, it is exactly what the city would want to say. I think there's a lot of stretch from tenants feeling like they might be pushed out and don't have a guarantee on how they're going to be living. And I think a lot of developers are looking at this saying, oh, we're just not going to be uh, partaking in the area, especially medium to smaller development groups. It's just too much cost for them to weigh a brand name out there. I think a lot of larger developers might be able to take a little bit less profit just to get their name in Broadway. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's not all doom and gloom, if it does come to fruition the way the city does plan to, and obviously there's going to be some missteps, it's going to be a very beautiful plan. It's going to be a very beautiful part of the city. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe as a, as a final question, at least on my end, are there any opportunities? It sounds like if for the for the big guys, for the REITs, there's obviously opportunities, but for maybe mom and pop investors, somebody looking are there any opportunities when it comes to real estate investment here for the little guys? 
Matt's asking you know, for a friend. <laughs> yeah, Matt's asking, <laughs> Matt's asking, Matt's asking for a friend. Are you the little guy? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be whatever you want if you got a good tip. <laughs> I think, you know, despite the doom and gloom on the uh, development side of things, you know, we are seeing a rush. A lot of the rental designated, rental development designated areas, I should say, are already populated by those three-story walk-ups that I mentioned before. And we are in a bit of a rush on rental rates going up. So while the development potential may not be immediate for some of these rental assets, I think there's certainly a position for uh, you know smaller mom and pop investors to still look into those multifamily buildings mm-hmm. that are you know a stable investment with significant kind of cash flow upside in place, and then you know you have the exit in the end on the development arm as things progress. You know there may be revisions to the plan that make the underwriting easier. And uh, in the meantime, it's not like you're sitting on a uh, empty asset and just, you know, paying the property tax all year. So I would say there's still opportunities there. Certainly, you know, I don't think you'll see any kind of development flips like you might have in the uh, Canby corridor and all of its hype back in the day. But somebody who's willing to hold something and uh, enjoy the cash flow in the meantime and enjoy the stability, frankly, of multifamily. You almost never deal with vacancy in the Fairview area or really any rental in Vancouver. I think there's still good opportunity there. Yeah. And on, on the on the commercial side as well, we have to look at how this plan will impact neighboring communities. You know, it, it's going to bring a projected 50,000 people at a 1.4% growth rate per year an increase in 42,000 jobs, the obvious Broadway subway, it's going to be affecting surrounding communities. It's going to be bringing a lot more people to Broadway. And how do they get there? They have to go through other communities as well. So there may be opportunities for strata ownership in nearby communities that uh, investors should be looking at that can be affected as this plan comes to fruition. Yeah. And I think also, you know, just on a smaller scale, um, there is there, you know, there are existing strata uh, retail and office products um, along Broadway. And, you know, so to purchase that now and, you know, the plan is, is underway, the SkyTrain is almost, or the subway is almost complete. And to take that ride as well, um, where we are going to be seeing an increase in lease rates. I think Broadway has been, you know, hammered over the past few years, especially with the construction, um, the demolition clauses uh, for a lot of the retail spaces and office. And now that we're coming through the end there, I think, you know, purchasing a a strata retail unit or a a strata office unit, you know, there is an upside there on the the rate because the area will eventually change and the construction is nearly done. So, you know, I think that, you know, if you're looking to invest in the area, definitely a good time to, to purchase. And on that strata note as well, and per Meg's previous appearance on the uh, podcast, you know, there are a lot of aging stratas that fall within the uh, within the Broadway plan. So it was somebody who typically invested in, you know, residential condos and rented out to a tenant. Not only will there be very strong demands to rent it out to people, but you could benefit from a, uh, a future strata wind up as, uh, you know, and looking along 11th and 12th, 13th uh, on the west side, there are a fair amount of three-story, severely aging strata buildings that, you know, uh, in all likelihood will see a strata wind up in the next 10 years. And uh, you could uh, see a nice lift on your money through that process. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of these stratas know that as well now. Uh, we've been invited to, to pitch and get into conversation with many stratas in the area. and 
typically a strata winds up, as Meg said in the previous podcast, because there's deficiencies in the building, it's falling apart. But we're also getting calls just on the redevelopment potential. So these are buildings that are, you know, still holding up well, no overlooming special levies. And um, they're, they're curious to see what their lips might be. So there's a lot of bullishness from owners in the area now. So that could be an op- a good opportunity over the course of the plan. Well, guys, thank you once again for your time. We know you guys are super busy. A lot of great insight on wrapping yeah, all that no stuff. Kidding. But before we're going to let you guys go, you guys know what we have. We've got the six pack, six lighthearted questions. So we get to know you a little bit better out of the, out of the office. But in light that we have three of you on the call today, and tomorrow, the William Wright Whistler retreat starts. We're going to do the 18 pack today. <laughs> We're going to do the 18 pack today. So, uh, the 18 pack. And that's questions for everyone that can not beer. Questions. <laughs> questions. So, the six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right, guys, first question out of the gate, and we'll give you each a chance to answer. What's the first thing you're going to do when you arrive in Whistler tomorrow? Well, I'm going to have a Caesar, I think, <laughs> at uh, 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the plan is to go up early, uh, get some brunch. Uh, mimosas were on the table, but hearing about an 18-pack, you know, might, might inspire uh, some, some different options. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, I don't know about these two alcoholics that I'm with, but uh, I'm, br- I'm bringing my laptop and I'm getting right to work. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like Seamus, you're going to get a promotion one. come Monday, but okay, keep going. <laughs> awesome, guys. Next question up for you. What are you binge watching on Netflix right now? Um, I'm actually uh, re-watching uh, Narcos right now. It's, oh, uh, it's an older on. one, but definitely holds up on the rewatch. I've been really enjoying that. And, uh, you know, interesting part of history. I'm on Ozark. And oh, it is, right. yeah, I, I rewatched it because it's been so long. But, uh, yeah, pretty juicy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Uh, yeah, I just uh, cleaned up with Succession. Great show. Back on Suits. It's oh. Just, <laughs> oh, that's Corey's favorite. You're oh. speaking. Yeah, I know. Everyone's getting a promotion but me. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to ask you your favorite band is pretty Corey's soon. That's, that's yeah, you've got an opportunity with the band. What <laughs> is uh, question three? Favorite band that you're going to be that you're going to be playing loud on the Cedar Sky Highway tomorrow morning? <laughs> Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to welcome Liam Simpson, the new president of William Wright Commercial. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of Broken Bells lately. Interesting. I'm, uh, I'm very much on the oldies. Um, probably my favorite band is uh, Hall & Oates because I'm a cheese ball. So uh, I'll be listening to that on the way up. Yeah, Hall & Oates, nothing wrong with Hall & Oates. Yeah, no, I hate it's, yeah, it's, it's funny because nothing Matt, right about it yeah, either. Yeah, but <laughs> not saying they're great, but Matt over here will be listening to Air Supply on the way up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Coming off the back of that one, you've had a couple of drinks now in Whistler. You're feeling really good about yourself. Someone sticks a karaoke mic in front of you. What song are you singing? 
Oh, I think we all say, what's that, for the longest time? Yeah. Our team uh, is very musically inclined, yeah. and we've figured out the harmonies to uh, for the longest time. <laughs> so we'll be singing that. Do you want us to do a little uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you guys For those that don't know the song, yeah. can you do a little acapella here for us? That, guys. It's not free, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, last but not least, and thanks again for all your time here today. Favorite restaurant or bar, and we can we can do the Whistler edition I, I of this think if you want in honor horns, of the, the yeah, so favorite restaurant or bar in Whistler. Mine would be Dublin Gate. Oh. <laughs> okay, it's so homey, and the mahogany is so rich. <laughs> I think I have to come in with Longhorns. It's just uh, it's just the environment for me. I don't think I've ever actually eaten there. I, I think I hear the food is great, but it's a it's a great spot. I didn't even know they had a um, kitchen. <laughs> for me, I guess I'll go Karumba uh, for the nostalgia factor. They've been a Whistler staple for uh, my whole life. Been going there for dinner since I was a little kid. And uh, when we were up at ICSC this year, we did a little uh, revisitation of that restaurant and pretty outstanding food still and uh, good drinks too. Yeah, now, does Karumba still have the calamari, like the, the, the really, really good calamari they used to have that doesn't have any of the batter on it? Like it's just kind of the dust up? Absolutely. That's worth do. it right there. And I'm so <laughs> glad you said that because that calamari is absolutely to die for. Well, maybe, maybe we'll have to sneak our way in there this weekend after golf. Guys, thank you once again so much for your time. How can our listeners find out more about what the three of you guys are doing? Yeah, so they could uh, email me personally, liam at williamwright.ca, meg at williamwright.ca. And yeah, shoot us a question with, with anything Broadway, anything Strata Windup, anything to do with land and, and development, more than happy to hop on a call and, and walk anyone through a process. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, guys, for your time. That was, uh, that was great. Thank you, guys. Jared, And there you have it, folks. Our interview with Meg Cooney, Liam Simpson, and Seamus Bailey, all from our William Wright Commercial Vancouver office, unpacking the Broadway plan from a commercial perspective. You know what I like? I like having three people on the show where they can kind of feed off each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. every and and fill in the gaps of of each other's answers, adding on that, piggybacking on that. But uh, but man, uh, really, really interesting stuff. And um, you know what? Corey, I was kind of depressed after I list or I engaged yeah. Meg, Liam, and Seamus. But you did bring me back to reality and put it in context. These things take time. Yeah. And you know, that vision next stage is where the rubber hits the road and we'll see how it plays out. But uh Rome wasn't built in a day. No, it's gonna take some time. And again, there's been a lot of controversy over this. There's been a lot of support depending on who you talk to. So it'd be really interesting to see how it plays out. Probably, like I said earlier, probably the biggest decision the city of Vancouver has had to make so far, in my opinion, just based on the size of scale and the opportunity or lack thereof that might come through on this. So be interested to see how it plays itself out. Absolutely. And uh, what else do we have before we head to Whistler, Corey? We have William Wright Commercial. People can reach us anytime at our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. Give us a call. Let us know your needs. We'll put you in touch with the best broker that we feel fits that uh, anywhere throughout the province. They can drop me an email. Corey at williamwright.ca. Always happy to hear what people feel about the show. I love it when listeners reach out and they tell me the good, bad, and the ugly. And then on top of that, they can visit our website, williamwright.ca anytime. Sign up for the latest and greatest news. Fantastic. We also have vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. This is where the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast lives. 
I was just thinking about it, Corey. If you listen to this show yep. and you were like, man, I don't have time to listen to Kit Sauter on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, but I want a summary of what he said about the Broadway plan. It lives at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We have summaries. We have all the episodes for both shows. It's where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And uh, yeah, the 18 pack. Let's let's get going. Yeah, speak for yourself. <laughs> I have about half of one of those 18 packs there, about maybe half a beer and I'm probably sleeping. So yeah. there's 17 and a half left for you. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll be back <laughs> next week. Well rested and ready to go. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Take care. Subscribe today.